Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. hostess. Tonight, we're going to crack open our paranormal passport and head to not necessarily the land of down under, but more Middle Earth. If you're familiar with the very popular movie trilogy, Lord of the Rings, this is where the most beautiful background was filmed. I am speaking of the country, New Zealand. And to help us learn more about the paranormal hotspots in Auckland, New Zealand, joining me today from the Paranormal New Zealand investigation team is Mark Wallbank. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hello. What a great introduction. Right? <laughs> awesome. I haven't uh, done this before or anything like that. So, <laughs> so you, are in, you are currently sitting in New Zealand, correct? That's right. And I understand that you have been running around Auckland and doing a lot of investigations. You created this investigation research team back in 1984. Is that correct? Uh, It was an early version, yes. It was myself and three friends, and we started this paranormal sort of research team back around 1984 and there was just three there was just three of us there were four some at one point but it was mostly just three and we would sort of go around the old farmhouses and derelict buildings that were in our area we lived in an early sort of um, area that was being developed so there was, there was a lot of farmland so we spent a lot of time just sort of roaming around the, the old houses and farms and the derelict burnt out shells of houses and just uh, Seeing what we could do, and we decided to. We had we had one we had one camera and we had one audio recorder, and that's pretty much all we had. So um, a, a camera in 1984 was that pretty heavy? No, no, it was just a, a, a basic snappy camera, which uh, oh, okay. You, you had a roll of film. The roll of film was 24 shots, and you had a cube flash. Okay, I envisioned a different camera, right? Right. So I'm not that old. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> so you your your research team investigates ghosts and cryptids and UFOs and urban legends. So that yep. that's your your focus. Now, what would you say was like the catalyst of you getting involved in researching the paranormal? Well, I mean, I've, I've always been interested. I've always had an attraction to the odd or the unusual or the unexplained and all the only books like I wasn't really good at reading and all that kind of thing but the books I did read very well were the non-fiction books that were based around ghosts and UFOs and monsters and that kind of thing I was, I was interested in those things so I I read a lot about those things so they helped me through my my education just by encouraging my reading and so and I had many questions my teachers at school didn't really have any answers to the questions I had and, of course, the more I read, the more questions I had. 
and the more I wanted to find out. And my teachers couldn't help me. They had no idea. So the only information I had was books. So I read lots of books about the unexplained and, and monsters and, and UFOs. And so I started spending time just looking into it for myself, just seeing what I could find and just going to old places that I thought might be haunted and just having a look. It wasn't until I used to watch you know, the cartoons as we all did as kids. We'd watch the, the after-school cartoons. And one of my favorites was Scooby-Doo. So I watched Scooby-Doo. And I always thought that it was great that a bunch of people would go out searching for these mysteries and hunting them down and then looking for answers. And I thought, always thought that was pretty cool, but I didn't realize that it was actually a thing and that people were actually doing it. Um, I was just out there doing it by myself, not thinking that it was something that other people were doing. And it wasn't until oh, I, I read a book, I found a book in a secondhand store over here when I was about, I must have been 10 or 12 years old, and it was by Harry Price. And it was Confessions of a Ghost Hunter. Now, just so people understand, Harry Price was considered to be like uh, the world champion in the paranormal research. He was a British gentleman who just paved the path, basically. He was the early pioneer in the field. Yeah, it's very divided what people thought of him because he was a magician and uh, all that. A lot of people think that he was up to trickery and lies and, and fakery, but he also did a lot of good in debunking bakers and, and hoaxes himself so he did a lot of good so i have a lot of respect for him and he uh i read his book many times as a kid and it was a big inspiration so it was nice to know that there was somebody out there actually researching it but i still at that age didn't know that there were actual people that actually went out uh, and sat in these places yeah, and actually did the field research i just thought people researched them as in writing books and writing about it it wasn't until i saw ghostbusters um, the scene at the beginning, the scene at the beginning when they're in the library and they're, they're walking around with gadgets. And that's when I started to think, this is great. This is what I want to do. I want to be in a haunted location. I want to have gadgets. I want to be looking for these ghosts. I want to see what it's all about. The moment in Ghostbusters where they all get freaked out and they're all running down the stairs of the town hall or the library, they're all running down the absolute look of fear in Dan Aykroyd's face, that was my spark. Right, I that was your moment. That. Okay. I wanted to experience that. I was like, hell yeah, I want to experience that for myself. I want to experience that fear. And that was the spark that got me going to getting out there and um, just investigating places by myself. And then I started forming a team, of course. I did it for about a good 20 years. I had my, my the, first of, the first version of the team I had for about just about three years. Then I went solo for about 20 years or maybe more. And then around 2009, kind of thought, this was around when Ghost Hunters, the TV program, came out. And I quite liked that. I quite liked the idea of a team going out again. And so I sort of got a bit more inspired to sort of get a team together for myself. So I started piecing people together. And we have a team now, and we've been going for well over a decade in, in, in that version. And, yeah, still going strong and doing very well. So in Auckland... I, which is, I'm assuming, is where you guys do a lot, most of your investigations, yeah. obviously. If people were looking to check out paranormal hotspots, say, for example, they're coming to New Zealand and they kind of want to have some sort of paranormal experience or potential, what like, what would you say are the top five hotspots, again, in Auckland? Um, we don't, yeah, we don't really have ghost tours here like you guys do over there. So we don't have tours as such. I mean, we do a few public events and a couple of other groups do events from time to time, but it's not a regular thing. But there are many locations that you can actually 
visit. You can visit them. There's various theatres and art centres and that kind of thing, various haunted bookshops and cinemas and, and lots of landmarks like you know, bridges, the certain the, the Auckland Harbour Bridge, you know, things like that that have stories attached to them. So there are places you can visit that are open to the public and they won't cost you anything. So you mentioned bookshops. What is there a special bookshop? Or... There was one called the Hard to Find Bookshop. It's now moved. It's relocated from the old building it was in. But it's still around, but it's, uh, it has relocated now. So apparently that new location isn't haunted. But there are places like that that did exist. Okay. Now, that kind of actually brings me to a topic of haunted objects. When I was researching your guys' website, because they do have a website, it's called Paranormal New Zealand, you yeah. had like an article, if you will, regarding haunted objects where you kind of debated whether or not you weren't necessarily a believer, but you weren't ready to say, I'm a non-believer either. So yeah. is what what's the story behind the scenario regarding the haunted objects? That's something I've always been fascinated in. I haven't experienced anything myself, but back in the 80s when I had the first team, I had a few items given to me by various families that wanted to get rid of them. So I, I sort of held on to those for the, through the years. And in and, and, and following years, I've been given many other items so I have a whole room in this house that's just full of just various objects that are sort of ritual objects like a Warren home pretty much okay but smaller (laughs) but a bit smaller okay and you can't walk into it it's too cramped there's boxes everywhere and yeah I need to display it somehow I don't know okay but I've never had I've I've got cameras in there and it's monitored 24 7 and I've had this room for a, a long time and it's I haven't really experienced anything so I do it purely out of interest and research and uh, I hope that one day something will happen but it hasn't yet that I've noticed okay but I like I do like the idea I do like the concept of it all okay so you had mentioned bridges and bookstores where would you say is like if you had to say one definite paranormal hands down totally haunted spot in all of Auckland your top one where would oh, you say I mean, and all over the whole country we have so many iconic rep- reportedly haunted locations but all the times I've been to those locations nothing's happened so as a team we haven't really experienced anything within those iconic locations around the place it's been the more unassuming ones that aren't locally really aren't really known that the stories really just come from the staff that work there or own the place so they aren't widely known so there are a lot of locations that we have got that we've built up reputations and uh, relationships with that give us regular access to them places like the lake house art center that's a place that it's on the north shore here in auckland and we go there all the time we've experienced so much it's been it's been really enjoyable going there and we, we will stay the night we'll quite happily just spend the night I live not too far from it, so I can just pop down there and, and spend a night if I want to, just sleeping on the floor or on a couch. It's it's really good. It's very handy. And we've experienced lots there. So what's hunting the lake house? Well, the lake house is an old big villa that was moved from its original location. It used to be on the side of a, a beach. I don't, we don't know why it was called the lake house, but it was on the side of a, a beach on a, on a coastline. Um, it was moved to this big reserve, a big sort of open reserve area. And it just sits there, and now it's an art school for kids and artists. And there, there we've had many stories coming from that. We heard that a young girl had been seen running up and down the stairs or up on the top floor, top mezzanine floor. And and all the all the activity that we've been getting 
so far seems to point towards it being a young person. We've had short shadows, just the short sort of child-sized shadows. We've had the sounds of running footsteps, like bare feet on wooden floorboards running down the hallway, almost like a child is running to hide. We've had trigger objects being triggered in answer to questions, and most of the answers that we've been getting, if they're if they're in fact answers, we don't know, they're sort of responses, I guess, but if they're correct, well, then all the answers pointed towards it being a young girl about five years old. We even went through the alphabet and tried to work out her name, and we came up with Patty or Patricia. So we've been calling her Patty. Whether that's her name or not, we don't know. But we just find it interesting that all these little signs and that we've been getting that point to it being a child also coincide with what other people have been seeing as well. Also reports in that lake house of a couple of girls that were doing some arts and crafts in one of the rooms there, and they ran out screaming because they said there was an old lady, an old hag-type lady, and she was up in the corner, up in the ceiling, in the corner like a spider, right. looking down at her. And so they ran out screaming, and they were just too terrified to go back. And stories like that, you know. So of course I had to spend a night in that room, right, um, right, to get to see uh, you by could... myself, right. Yeah, but you know, and we've had a lot of activity as well, which has been, which has been nice. We've been able to record some of it as well, which is nice. It's always a bonus when you can record it. Right. Get physical proof of mm. potentially what's going on. So, potentially, yeah. yeah. Right. Potentially. There was also a school, an old girls' school, Central Auckland, and that had closed down. It was just old and derelict uh, and not being used. And we managed to get the lease on that one for two years. And so we had the key. And so we would go there. Over two years, we carried out about 25 research visit, visits. And we were staying the night and again and spending many, many hours and late nights there and experienced a lot, a lot of activity. And it's all those places that nobody ever hears about. So um, off the beat places. The most active. Yeah, just ones that aren't really widely known and just sort of in-house. Only the staff really know about the stories. So who's haunting the old schoolhouse? Oh, there was, we, we experienced lots at the schoolhouse. It's, it's a two-level two-level building. It's quite big and there's a lot of rooms. We experienced during our sessions, we had, you know, footsteps. We, we did one session where we were doing an EVP, uh, a communication session down the bottom of the stairwell. There's a big, massive grand staircase. We were sitting down the bottom. Upstairs, the door was locked, but we clearly hear the door open and bang above us. And then you hear footsteps coming down the stairs towards us. There was about a good five steps. And you could hear the floorboards creaking under the weight of something. And we were just sitting there looking up, waiting for something to come down. Right. And it was just incredible. We've also had sort of communication sessions where we've had, we were doing live feeds, a Facebook live feed, and we would have a phone on a tripod set up in the old toilets. There's a, a big sort of toilet area there. And we experienced quite a bit in there. And people on the live feed would be claiming that they're hearing the sounds of children laughing and, and giggling and cheering and like, it, like it's a, a playground. And this is at three o'clock in the morning. And so... We couldn't hear it, but I would go upstairs and spend some time in that room with headphones on, listening to the live feed, and I could hear it. So it was almost like audio was being transmitted directly to the live feed electronically somehow. So that was kind of a, a changing point for us to know that perhaps EVPs can be transmitted through electronic devices. Okay. So which we thought was interesting. Right, right. They say humans can't hear all the the noises that are being made because we are on a certain frequency and a lot of other noises are coming through through different frequencies. So aside from ghosts, you guys, like I previously mentioned, you guys investigate urban legends. And kind of poking yeah. through your guys' website, 
I noticed you guys have a goat man as an urban legend. What's what's the goat man? That's one that goes way back, and it's near a military base, a military base installation there. And so we can't get access to that because it's high security, but there's a big desert road that kind of goes past it and leads up to it as well. And it's called the Old Desert Road, and it's in Wairu. And we've heard so many stories from people that work at the installation there and people that have been in the area that have seen this giant upright goat-type figure with horns and um, just everything that you can imagine a goat man being. He wears an overcoat as well, a big overcoat. Some of the stories are where they've picked up this unusual guy who, in an overcoat as a hitchhiker, and then suddenly he just disappears. He disappears from the back seat. Just weird stories like that that a lot of people are experiencing in a very isolated area. So, you know, I don't know about in New Zealand, but in America, a lot of people... With goats, and if they're standing upright, that's not a goat. That's like Satan. That's like, that's no, that's no <laughs> bueno, as we say here in America. So, yep. okay, so that's the goat man. Now, what's the story with the three witches? Okay, that's another one that goes way back to about the 80s, I think. It's uh, in one of the Auckland domain, which is where the Auckland Museum is. There is a small area which has a giant fountain, and there is a big statue there. There's a sculpture of three figures and they're standing one's holding a bowl of fruit and the other's sort of holding a trumpet and it's it's meant to be the three muses that's what it was built as and it was built it was created uh, by an artist with a, a positive sort of story behind it and also it was to encourage you know hope and and positivity and all that and but just through the years in that area of the domain there are a lot of old very old trees and those trees are well over 150 years old maybe maybe older than that and a lot of people have gone to that area, and when the moon is right and there's a full moon and the area is sort of dead quiet, it looks like there are people hanging from the trees. People have also been attacked by something that jumps out of them with red eyes. They've heard evil cackling and laughing, something in the bushes, and it's all completely dark. There's no street lights there. It's a very dark area. So you've only got the moonlight. So there's a lot of people that have made claims of something scaring them in that area. So Does... it's thought that these are the three witches. Does New New Zealand have a history of hanging witches? I do you not guys really, have that history? We we kind of do. it's not it's not really widely known. There were there were a few people um, hung, of course. I think the the last person to be hung was sort of oh, I'm not sure what to show when it was. I can't remember the date. Sorry, but we have had hangings here, of course. Witches, I'm not too sure about. It's very undecided about that. There are a lot, some people say yes, some people say no. Um, undecided, but so a lot of this is possibly just urban myth. But people are making claims. People are coming forward and saying this happened to them. So we just don't know if there's anything to it or whether it's some sort of creature that's seen people experiencing something. Right. So let's talk about another potential urban legend. There's a particular camp where a teacher supposedly killed three kids. What's the story behind that? Campadia. Again, I don't know, don't know all the detail on that one. That, they're all, it's very vague, and it's very hard to find the actual detail and the truth about it, so I don't know. There was a teacher, apparently, that did kill. I say apparently because that's what I've heard. Um, I don't have the facts, but apparently there was a teacher that did murder one or two people many years ago. We're talking back in the 70s or 80s, I think. And so there is this kind of rumour. There are the rumours around about that story, and whether they've been sort of exaggerated through the years we don't know but the whole area 
has a very dark history. And even though it's 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 a, a camp that was set up as a confidence builder for kids, schools will take the kids there at least once in their time. You know, you, we all go to Campadere. I went there as a kid. We all went there as a, in our classes. And it's a, it's a, it's an amazing place, but it does have a, a dark backstory when you start digging. So what's the, uh, what's, the what's the dark backstory? Well, I mean, apparently bodies buried in the forest, surrounding forest. Apparently, again, no proof. But there are stories, and that's what we go for. That's what we research. We research the stories. There's meant to be evil sort of specters that sort of roam the halls. There's meant to be people that have been attacked by something that growls at them in the forest. You know, things like that. So there is something, again, going on out there, whether it's fueled by human myths, we don't know. But it's, it's fascinating either way, though. Right. Now, you you mentioned your investigations with your research team. What kinds of equipment would you recommend for people starting out to get started in their own in investigations? What what kind of equipment would you say, this, this is definitely something you're going to want? We've tried every piece of equipment that's available. We, we do try, but we've found that the majority of the equipment that's out there at the moment is just a waste of time and doesn't do what it, the creators will say it does. So we've, I mean, we've experimented them. We've, we feel like we have to buy these gadgets first to trial them and experiment with them to see firsthand. We're not going to put down gadgets that we haven't used. It seems a bit pointless. So we do try everything from spirit boxes to to everything, all the, the various different sort of REM pods and uh, all the gadgets that are out there. We'll try them. We'll give them a go. But so far, we haven't found anything that has given us anything but the usual sort of pareidolia or misinterpretation or anything that's up to interpretation and can have many different other explanations for it being set off. We, we try and just not use them because there are many other reasons why that, that gadget will be set off. And if, if we're lucky and privileged to get into a location, the last thing we want to do is waste our time messing around with a gadget, which is possibly giving us false positives. So we kind of just work with what we've got and what we know works. And for me personally, my favorite piece of equipment is a video camera. I have quite a few video cameras and I film all angles because that way you get the audio and you get the visual. You get to film the team in action. You get to film where everybody is in the room. You get multiple different angles, various cameras set up on tripods. So it's, to me, that makes sense. It's documenting things that you can see and hear, physical things. And other th anything outside that is usually up to interpretation, really. Now, what about thermal cameras? Do you guys utilize those? Yeah. We've, we've, used, we've got a couple of different thermal cameras, and we've found that they, have their, they do have their, their spot. I think they are, they are valid in what they do, but they are, again, open to interpretation and false positives like with reflections. And uh, you know, any shiny surface will show a heat signature of a person or, your, or the person filming. Okay, like a reflection, basically. Yeah, a wall even. Even a wall will have, if it's got a slightly shiny surface, show a figure. Okay. So, well, I mean, these yeah. are good to know because people who aren't experienced using these these, these types of equipment wouldn't know, mm -hmm. and they think, oh, my God, that was just a ghost, and in reality, it's really their reflection off of a shiny wall. So Yeah, I think anybody new to this, though, that wants to sort of check out different gadgets, I mean... I just say research it. Just just research these various gadgets and the reviews. Read what other people are saying about them. And don't just read one website or one book. Uh, read a few different websites and what people are saying about them. And you'll start to – and just try and figure it out for yourself and try and find a balance because, I mean, there are a lot of gadgets that 
I've used that I think are possibly no good, but somebody else might use it and find a lot of you know, good in them and what they do. They might find that they actually work really well with them. Um, I also believe that with gadgets, it's sometimes it's good to experiment with them outside of what they were created for. We've used EMF meters as trigger objects for communication, and something seems to be happening there. Something seems to be able to trigger them off almost an answer to questions. So whether that's a valid thing, we don't know, but it's it's an interesting thing and it's worth experimenting with because we don't know. We don't know what's triggering it. We don't know what's happening there. So it's all part of the research. Right. It's like K2 meters, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. So, I mean, I actually have one of those, and I, I would say I feel really comfortable using that, but that's kind of something that I use and have used on my very mm. rare and very novice <laughs> investigations. I mean, I I don't have a whole lot of equipment and I don't do it very often, but when I do, that's my, my little friend. My you little just work friend. with what's, what works for you. I mean, if Correct. it works for you and it's giving results, then go with it. Right. Yeah, I don't think there's any point in spending a lot of money. I think it's, it's something that you should build on. Start start with the basics. I would suggest you have a camera. You've got camera on your phone. You've got an audio recorder on your phone. You've got all sorts of gadgets on your phone. So that's a good starting point. If you have a phone, then you've already got a few gadgets right there. Right. A couple of apps to boot. Yeah. Now, yeah. I understand you've investigated outside New Zealand as well. Yes. My understanding is you've been to England once or twice? I've been to the UK a few times and uh, Australia as well. It's uh, And Hawaii and places like that, Las Vegas and... We've sort of been around, I've traveled around. I do like to travel with my wife and we sort of head overseas as often as we can. We fell in love with the UK. We fell in love with Scotland. We love Scotland. So we head back as often as we can. Very expensive, but we do it because we love it. And I just spend my time, we usually go for a few weeks and I travel around meeting up with other teams and spending the nights in various haunted locations and just meeting people and doing a few talks here and there and yeah, just hanging out with friends and having a fun a fun time. I've covered a couple of hot spots in the UK, primarily England and Scotland, and I understand you've been to the Greyfriar Bobby, is that correct? The Greyfriars, yeah, that's a great cemetery, yeah. And it's my understanding there's a poltergeist, the Mackenzie poltergeist? Yeah, the Mackenzie, yeah, yeah. That one there is actually a myth. That was started by that was started by a tour guide, okay. um, a ghost tour team. They started that, and there's a lot of division there. Where yeah, they started the story as to sort of attract people to, um, to re- reel them in. Okay, pretty much, pretty much. I believed it until I heard the the real story. But there is that place is just incredible as it is. Without the poltergeist, without the poltergeist story, it's still amazing to know that there are thousands of bodies buried under the ground, not even in graves. They're just buried under the ground, and they're buried upright. Uh, there are thousands of them. Really? Now, are we talking yeah, about Mary Close? Mary's Close? It's like the underground... Great Greyfriars, yeah. Right. You know, a lot of times when I do my research, Scotland, especially Edinburgh, has, I mean, you just have your pick. It's like down the street, pub, 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 ghost, 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 ghost story here, ghost story there. They're all in the basement. They're all in the cellar. It's just, I know. it's, uh, I mean, and it, it makes a lot of sense if you know the history of, of Edinburgh. It's just been a lot of deaths. They did have a series of witch hunts. They have a, a little black memorial for the witches that were unfortunately burned on 
the hill up in the city. I, I'm I can't recall the name of the hill, but they mm-hmm. they do acknowledge that the this horrific scenario happened, especially in this particular spot. And in fact, in in Edinburgh in August, they have a lot of celebrations. So I mean, that's obviously the best time to go. But yeah. definitely, Edinburgh is like it. Th- that fingers crossed is my next foreign city to visit but do you also my understanding is you also been to Chillingham Castle is that correct I spent a night at Chillingham yep yep I heard the story so I had to go again it was a very quiet night okay (laughs) (laughs) nothing to report but no it was it was quite interesting because just spending time in the the dungeons and the the lower areas of that of the castle it's very interesting I mean I wouldn't say nothing happened but it was a very odd feeling down there you can actually feel quite odd vibes in certain areas and I've heard a lot of stories coming from that place and I find it really intriguing it's one that I I would like to go back and spend more time at more in depth with my research and actually just spend a few nights by myself just immersed in it I think it's one of those locations that you need to keep coming back to you need to spend more time to really get the full effect it's the same with the ancient ram the ancient ram is a place that over a thousand years old and I've spent a few times there now and I've experienced a few things, but it's just such a fascinating place because it's just so old. Worry, in so fact, th- that was a, a full episode uh, of our podcast because it was just like, this room has all these issues and then this room has all these other issues and then there's this, this yeah. shadow in the hallway and dead bodies on the floor and you're just like, oh my God. Yeah, it's so, amazing. Right. Great, love it. So... Now, with all of these experiences and investigations, you have put together a couple of books. Is that correct? I have just released my fourth book. Okay. Which which one is that one? Are we talking Haunted Auckland? Haunted Auckland. Because recently, at the end of last year, we decided we used to be called Haunted Auckland. Because when we started out, when we started off way back in 2009, um, we we didn't think we would become as known or as or as big and and knowledgeable as we as we have been, and figured that that we would be a bunch of people walking around the Auckland area, just around our hometown, and we would just ex, you know, explore some of the places around our hometown. Um, we didn't sort of figure into it that we'd be um, known throughout the whole country, and that we'd be travelling the whole country, that we'd be travelling overseas, and all that. It didn't really dawn on us, and so we kind of outgrew the haunted Auckland team name. So we wanted to call ourselves something that better described who we are and what we did and the area that we covered. So we, we changed our name recently to Paranormal New Zealand, which is the name of the website. The website has been running since, the website's been going since about 2010, I think. And so we decided to change it to Paranormal New Zealand instead. It covered more area and better described what we do. So the book that came out recently is called Haunted Auckland, and that pretty much has over 90 plus stories and locations from all over Auckland, just our hometown. And I decided to call it Haunted Auckland because in sort of tribute to the early team name, like an end of an era, I guess. So we wanted to change. And so, yeah, um, Haunted Auckland, the, the book, came out uh, a few weeks ago now. And um, it's doing quite well. People are, It's better than I thought, actually. It's been quite popular. So if people were coming to Auckland and wanted to know about paranormal hotspots, then this is definitely the book that they would want to pick up, yeah. especially since you're you're relaying 
actual experiences. This is not, I read from a book, these are the ghost stories. It seems like this is like, these were our experiences. This is what we're going to discuss and vouch for these particular spots. Now, the other really cool thing, the other really cool book that I see that you have out is Haunted New Zealand Road Trip. And so I think, I mean, that's pretty, in my opinion, New Zealand is not a big country by comparison to the United States. So, I mean, a road trip is not unfathomable. So if people wanted to check out Middle Earth, okay, let's be honest, the gorgeous uh, scenery there, then the road trip book would probably be idealistic. I think so, yeah. It covers covers the... The whole country from top to bottom, both islands, because we have a north and south island. So the book covers pretty much both islands. Right. And I mean, that's one thing to, to be aware of is that it does consist of two islands. So that's something to consider when you're making travel plans. Now, yeah. you have two other books, Voices in the Wall and Talking to Shadows. Which of these two were your first? Voices in the Walls was my the first attempt at writing. I still don't consider myself a writer, even after four books. It's just something I wanted to do because I was inspired. There was a guy from Wellington, a paranormal friend of mine, who has a team in Wellington, the capital, and he had a book out called Spooked. And Spooked, and it was basically exploring the paranormal in New Zealand. And I read that, and I just loved it. I just, I just thought it was a great, uh, great book. He's a great guy, and we, we've investigated many times together. And... I just found it such a great inspiration to me personally. And we had all these folders full of investigation files and case notes and, and journals and all these details that we had been we've been writing down through the years of all our investigations. And we thought it's a shame to not let people read these or see them. You know, we've just stored them away in a room and nobody gets to read them. So I figured I would put out a book. So that was Voices in the Walls and that was the beginning of our sort of our Haunted Auckland series. Uh, we did two books. We did two books. There was Haunted Voices in the Walls and Talking to Shadows were the first two. And then I got snapped up by a publisher who had read those first two books and wanted to do a book with me. And so we did the, the Haunted New Zealand Road Trip. It was That was great fun to put together. It was, you know, I got to travel the country and write little reviews. And it was almost like a travel guide, but it had, it had my personal experiences, my personal thoughts about how you know, how bad the food was or what, what I ate and, and it, how bad the plumbing was in places. But that so is essential the, to know, food. just so everyone understands. You know, plumbing is essential, you know, yeah. and food. Food is essential. And if it's bad food, you need good yeah. plumbing. So, I mean, these are important yeah. things. So, but yes. Oh, if, you're spending a money, if you're spending a lot of money to stay in a hotel, you want, you want a bit of quality there. Correct. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, it kind of reads as a um, sort of diary, journal, you know, travel guide in parts. Yeah, yeah. And same with Haunted Auckland. This is uh, my Haunted Auckland book. It, it's kind of a travel guide as well, but it's a little bit different from other travel guides. It, it has personal stories there, and it has notes and bits from pieces from my journals and my own files. One thing I don't want to do is I don't want to be putting out information that isn't my information and isn't anything that I've been able to verify or, you know. Confirm, um, right. Confirm for myself. So I always tell people, whenever I do a talk, I always tell people that I'm not going to stand here in front of you and tell you that ghosts do or don't exist. I expect them to go look for yourself. And that all the information that I do give people, whether it be in a book or in a talk, is all stuff that I've been able to verify or confirm for myself. I don't just sort of rattle off information that I've read online or, you know, because if I don't know it's fact, I'm not going to put it out there as fact. 
So I just give my own personal take on it and I let people make of it what they will. And it's the same with my books. They're kind of me telling a story and I pretty much write the way I speak. Um, I don't try, I'm not an academic, so I don't try and sound like an academic. And I just let people read it and take what they want out of the books and out of my talks. And if I can teach somebody something, that's great. If I can get somebody interested in the paranormal field, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. And for reference purposes, all of these books can be found on Amazon. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, they can. And Amazon United States? Yes. Okay, not just New Zealand, I mean. Because we do no, no, actually... last time I checked... Yeah, last time I checked, they were all there. Okay. <laughs> we do actually have a significant of international listeners. You mentioned you love the UK. Well, we do have a lot of uh, British. We have some Spanish listeners from Spain. So, I mean, it's, it's actually quite interesting. And I'm very, very grateful that we have these this variety of listeners all over the world. So... You know, if someone was interested in your book in, in a different part of mm. the world, having access would be would be exceptional for them, I think. Oh, with social media. Social media's just completely opened up the field, hasn't it? I found I found it fascinating going through the the stats uh, for the, for our website, for example, and just finding out which countries people are watching from. And it's incredible just seeing how many people are interested in New Zealand. Right. And um from all over the world. Right. You know, it's, it's even even these little places that I'll probably never go to myself, people over there are watching us. Correct. It's incredible. And, yes, and to, like, I'm like, where is this in Scotland? Where is this in, you know, Sweden? I never even heard of this place. So it has yeah. been very interesting when we look at all the the information that we can see in terms of who's who's listening, who's checking out the website, and, mm. you know, for, for the podcast, the downloads and what have you. So it, it's been very eye-opening for, for me personally in the journey of this podcast. So, yeah. and then I can imagine, I mean, I don't necessarily operate a, a website, so it must be more as exciting if for your guys' website there. So, but mm. yes, yeah, so I, you know, I personally think I'm going to check out the, the road trip one simply because there's just so many wonderful places. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you mentioned, you know, there's the iconic places that doesn't really seem to be as potentially haunted as the lesser known places, the ones that people kind of keep hush hush about. We are fairly... Well, I, have to say, I, mean, I have to say that the places that we've had the most activity are the places that aren't really listed on any top 10 lists or anywhere. And they're not really known for being haunted. And so we're the, we're, the, we're the only ones that have actually ever been there and investigated it. And those are the places that we have the most activity. And it seems to be more, in, it, not only eventful, but fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, well, I want to thank you very, very much for joining me today, tomorrow, uh, tonight. <laughs> With all of your your wonderful experiences and recommendations, and and even you said you know New Zealand, no one knew, and it's like, well, yes, and that's one of the beauty about reaching out and meeting people from these areas. Then people get to know, you, you understand. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. I'm going to move on to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and if you are curious and or interested and would like to join, 
send us a request. But in the meantime, if you have a place or a topic or a country that you would like us to explore further, send us a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. <laughs>